Good morning. This is Matt Monero. You're watching another episode of the I Need More Money radio show only on Road Grit TV. I'm coming to you from our studios here in Dallas, Texas. You know, as many of you know, I have a very strong opinion that America has an epidemic going on. The epidemic is that most people don't have enough money. They're scared to death of the fact that they don't have enough money, but they really don't know the roadmap to fix it. They truly don't have mentors or guidance or understanding on how to get out of the problem that their money situation has created. So obviously I've written a book called I Need More Money, What to Do When You Wake Up and You Don't Have Enough. The book was picked up by Penguin Publishers, a big four publishing house out of New York. The book will come out in Q4 2017, and it will provide a roadmap to the readers of how we can get out of the fear of our current money situation and get back on track and start to actually build a plan to finish happy versus finish terrified of our money situation. Because time marches on, y'all, and if we don't get this right, we will end up like millions and millions of other people who are currently scared to death about their money situation. In order to do that, I always love to bring in great, talented guests. And on today's show, I've got Kirk DePlessis. And Kirk is the founder of Option Alpha. And we're going to talk about stock market strategies, option trading strategies on today's show. So, Kirk, welcome aboard. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's absolutely my pleasure. Obviously, in my intro, Kirk, you got an idea of my firm opinion. I believe that most people don't have enough money. Even the people that do have enough money, I believe most don't have enough money. And the reason that I justify that is when Bill Gates, the richest man in the world, comes out and he says that he doesn't have enough money, I think it should be a wake-up call for all of us. Now, Bill Gates comes across and says he doesn't have enough money because he needs more money in his foundation, because his why of helping global famine and water quality and disease is his mission, and he knows that he, gets, he needs more money to be able to do that at the levels that he wants. Now, that's an extreme example, but the reality is most people, regardless of age, in my opinion, don't have enough money. How do you feel about that opinion, Kirk? I mean, I totally agree. I, I totally sympathize with where people are at. I mean, I can tell you that, uh, you know, in our program, we've got 37,000 people who are, you know, part of our membership and our community, and it's growing at about 120, 130 uh, people a day, which is, which is good growth for us, and it just shows that people want an alternative solution. Here's what I can tell you about that. You know, I think most of America, and I say this all the time in webinars and other shows and podcasts that I do, is, you know, I think most of America has a fingers crossed behind their back type of investment approach, and specifically when it comes to the stock market, to their home, to any investment vehicle that they have, they just are really hoping and praying that the market goes up. And God forbid the market goes down, their dreams, desires, money, financial security is tied in a one-directional fashion to every market. And so the hope that I always have in starting Option Alpha and you know building this membership and community and courses is to be able to give people an opportunity to leverage different financial vehicles to generate income regardless of where the market might go. Yeah, and I imagine I see what you're saying. Yeah. And also probably regardless of whether they're an employer or an employee, it really doesn't matter because 
because I, I know that you and I are on the same page in this opinion in which people have to take the personal responsibility to be able to fix their personal financial situation. True. And, you know, it's funny that you said, you know, even like Bill Gates and some people who are, you know, very wealthy. I've, I've done some consulting and advising to a billionaire hedge fund manager in New York by the name of Bernard Schwartz. And he runs a multi-billion dollar hedge fund for not only himself, but also his family and investors. And he's brought me in before to consult on options trading because he's concerned that even in the hedge fund space, that they are getting too one-sided in their in their thinking. And they need you know, a different, a different um, outlook or a different perspective on how to consistently bring in income, more money, however you want to call it. There's got to be a multi-function facet of how we do this. Yeah, yeah. So, Kirk, let's talk about your early days of money, though. Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in uh, Virginia. I was originally born in uh, Colorado, so I'm a huge Broncos fan. Most <laughs> of my family is in Colorado. Um, and, but I grew up most of my life in Virginia, northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. Um, so very good area. Uh, I mean, a highfalutin area as far as, you know, the national standards are concerned. Um, and then eventually my wife and I moved to Pennsylvania where we live now after we had our, our two girls. So mm. now we live in rural Pennsylvania outside of uh, outside of Pittsburgh, which is definitely a different a different feel and a different location than, uh, than outside of Washington, D.C., for sure. Yeah, now outside of D.C., are we talking like McLean, Virginia, or where are we talking? Tyson's Corner area, all that? Yeah, yeah, we were in Fairfax, so we were right in the, right in the area, so literally just outside of D.C. You know, my first job out of college uh, was at the um, McLean Hilton in Tyson's Corner, if you're familiar with that hotel. Well, and I worked probably three blocks from there when I was uh, a BB and when I was a read analyst for BB and T. Their capital markets headquarters was in McLean. Like, not even I didn't even know this before we started. Literally three blocks from where you're talking. <laughs> yeah, I was there uh, ninety one and ninety two. My first two years out of college, um, they put me through the uh, Hilton Hotels uh, sales training program, which I was very thankful for. Uh, because they really did teach me how to professionally sell. But then they dumped me in uh, McLean Hilton and had me selling executive hotel rooms. And, uh, and you know, a couple things happened, though. Or even at, those, at that early age, uh, we were able to put that hotel on the map because you may recall back in those days, there, there, when I moved there, there was not a Ritz-Carlton there. But shortly after that, uh, they did start construction on a Ritz-Carlton. So we had competition coming in right away because McLean Hilton was one of the nicer hotels in that area. There was a Sheraton there as well. And, uh, and uh, we, 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 uh, a colleague of mine and I there, we, we landed two monster accounts. We landed the Olympics, the 92 Olympics, when they came back to the United States and they were going to spend their week in D.C. and see the president. We, we landed that account and McLean Hilton became the, the headquarter hotel for that. But then I also landed this British Airways account in which all of the pilots and flight attendants of British Airways, when they would fly into Reagan or Dulles, would stay at the McLean Hilton as the headquarter hotel. And do you know they still have that account today? Tens and wow, tens and tens of thousands of hotel rooms were sold through those two programs. So, uh, But then I quickly decided uh, I don't want to be in the hotel business anymore. I need more money. So I got out. Yeah. So what was the conversation as a kid? I mean, did you feel that money was something that was swept under the carpet at home as a kid, or, or was it something that was thrown on the kitchen table and you guys all talked about it? You know, it's funny. You know, I, I say that I, I don't think anybody has, like, a typical childhood um, by any means. You know, everyone's childhood is different. Um, in my case, you know, my, my parents are both in the mortgage industry and, and have been for many years. 
um, my dad had originally been a mechanic, and so he opened up his own business and he had his own shop, um, and then you know eventually decided that's not what he wanted to do, and he didn't want to you know turn a wrench for a living, and eventually got in the mortgage business with my mom. So for us, money was was something that not necessarily was open for discussion at all points, but it was something that was always talked about. You know, like I learned at a very young age, you know, why it's important to save and why it's important to invest. I mean, for God's sakes, I was going to like, you know, these like stock market, real estate, you know, training, you know, seminars that I think I was like 12 or 13 and my mom would take me out of school to go to these on like Friday, you know, so for us it was a, it was a big thing. And, um, and so now I, I jokingly say to my wife, you know, like my family vacations were to open houses, like as a kid, like that's what we did. We would go around and look at open houses and look at real estate and, and so now, you know, I've got a really good handle on, you know, kind of where I want to be and, and what type of investor I want to be generally. And so yeah. my wife and I, we own, uh, you know, 14 uh, properties right now. We're looking at a triplex right now, and we're definitely more active in that space because of the the uh, upbringing that I had, for sure. So your career then went uh, through college, and then obviously it took you to Wall Street, correct? Correct. And yep. what yeah, so I, what was the environment on Wall Street when you were there? What would, what, what would that have been, early 2000s? Yeah, so that was in 2000 and, uh, 2003 and 2000, um, so 2006, 2007. And, um, and at that time, I mean, that was just before the market crashed, right? So um, I was fortunate enough uh, to not only just get the experience because I was there and I, I worked as an M&A banker, so we did a lot of the merger and acquisition deals and um, at the time, it was, you know, great because there's a lot of deals happening and companies were buying each other up left and right. I was extremely fortunate enough that the managing director of our group at the time saw three deals basically fall through the pipeline in the summer of 2007 and had told us, hey, look, you know, it's probably going to dry up real quick. And and this is a guy who'd been in the industry for a long time, had a lot of, you know, foresight, a lot of insight into, you know, uh, that type of, you know, the market for buying and selling companies, merger deals, and, you know, IPOs, all that stuff. Um, and he was very fortunate enough to tell us and honestly say, you know, like, stuff's going to dry up. Do you guys, you know, you should probably start to think about what other divisions you want to be in. Mm. Um, and so at that moment, I was also in the position where my wife, had, you know, at, not at the time, but, you know, girlfriend at the time, now wife, had said, you know, look, you, you can't be in New York working 80 hours a week, right? Like, you got to, if you want to be here with me, you be here with me. And um, so I transitioned over and, and started on the on the other side of the Chinese wall, which is on the analyst side, um, covering REITs. So I covered real estate investment trust companies, which was a great experience, um, and kind of learned that side of the business, what, you know, happens on the sell side, really, um, of, you know, pitching your research right. and your buy recommendations. Um, and eventually, you know, just wasn't a good fit for me. I, I didn't want to be on that side of the business you know, after a couple of years. So. I just finished a fantastic book called The Buy Side by a guy named Turney Duff. Does, uh, have you heard of that book? I have not. Fantastic book. Talks about his, his uh, rise and fall on Wall Street in the late 90s and into the 2000s. Uh, fantastic, fantastic book. Couldn't recommend it more. Buy, the Buy Side by Turney Duff. Um, so, so then, I mean, let's, let's get down to it because the stock market... Um, and let's be let's just use generalizations here. But many people believe the stock market is risky. And if we want to go a step further in the risk category, well, now we get into the option world. So help our audience understand just in very layman's terms what options trading actually is. 
So here's what I can tell you, right? So I want to take a step back, and I want to just first, like, not dis- not dispel the myth or counteract what you're saying, but most people assume when you take a step towards the next level, which is options trading, that it naturally carries more risk. And the wrong assumption is that the leverage always means more risk, therefore it's more risky. And that's not the case. Yes, there's leverage in options trading, but if you use it right and correctly, which is what I try to teach people, and not shoot for 1,000% gains or even 100% gains on a year, you can do very well risking a lot less money. And I'll even use this analogy. Like, think about the stock market. Everyone out there who's listening to this right now, think about the risk versus reward in the stock market. We've had two major crashes in the market in the last 20, you know, call it 16 years, right? Two major market crashes. In most cases, I mean, the markets have been down, you know, 20-plus percent, but most stocks were, you know, obliterated. So your downside risk in the last 20 years, call it once every 10 years, is to have 50, maybe 60 percent drawdown. And your upside is maybe in the last couple of years to get back to even from where we were back in 2000. I mean, just recently, the NASDAQ finally crossed above where it was at the height in 2000. Mm -hmm. So I think that investing in the stock market right now is incredibly risky when you think about alternative investments like options. So when it comes to options trading, all you're doing uh, with options trading is basically leveraging these different option contracts, which you can think of them as insurance contracts. Um, That's what most people do is think of them as insurance contracts, but leveraging them so that you're putting up a little bit of capital to control a large amount of underlying shares. And again, if you use that leverage in the wrong way, then it can be really, really bad. But if you use it in the right way, you can do really well. I'll give you one quick little case study. We actually did this in, in one of our podcasts and kind of going through this. One of the easiest strategies that new investors can use to get started in options trading is what's called a cover call uh, option selling strategy. So if you already own underlying shares, then you would sell a call option, which basically forfeits your right for profits above a certain price point. And in exchange for doing that, for kind of renting out your shares a little bit, you take in a monthly income. So you take in a premium that is your income. That premium then reduces the cost of ownership in that stock. If you were to execute that same strategy month after month after month and did it on something like the S&P 500, over the course of, say, 20 years, you outperformed the market by 24% and you had dramatically less volatility in your account which means that you not only did better on a return basis, but you also had dramatically less fluctuations in your account balance, meaning you didn't see the 20% dips that the market saw. Maybe you saw a 15% dip in your account. Not that you didn't lose money, but that your volatility in your account balance or your equity curve was much smoother. Yeah, so but I look, that is like, that's the Kirk, we got building blocks of how you can do it. We got to slow it down, though, my friend, because... Because I have a pretty good grasp. You can tell I'm excited about it. No question about it, and and you know your stuff. But the the fact of the matter is most people are just not in that category of sophistication. So I think we need to back up just a second, really start to really understand. Because because I I think your primary uh, premise in that comment is so accurate, and most people don't really understand it. If they buy an individual stock, your downside risk is zero. You could lose it all. And the concept of options trading is to be able to put up a smaller portion of capital to control a specific amount of stock, either that you believe that stock is going to go up or you believe that stock is going to go down. 
but your downside risk is only to the initial investment and your upside risk is leveraged, hedged, enhanced by the amount of shares that you own. Now, I don't know that I broke it down any more rudimentary than you did, but maybe you could elaborate on what I just said in a more basic sort of six-year-old mindset. So here's the way that you have to think about it, actually. And, and let's just use the insurance example, because this is, this is really you know, like a good example that we, we can use, okay? Let's say that you are in a house that you own that's worth $100,000, to use round numbers. What you would do is you would, if, and this is what a traditional stock trader does, is they, if they own that house for $100,000, but the house burns down, well, then they lose their entire investment, right? There's no protection against that big, dramatic downfall that, you know, might happen. Or in the same regard, the house might increase in value, but there's still a risk that it burns to the ground or something happens. When you start to introduce an insurance contract on that house, so now as the homeowner, you say, you know what? My house is worth $100,000, but I want to go out and I want to buy an insurance contract that protects me. Maybe that insurance contract pays $90,000 if my house burns to the ground. So you go out and you pay an annual premium to have that contract in place. You pay the insurance company, let's say, $1,000 a year to have this contract in place. And so year after year after year, you're paying this $1,000 premium. And if the house burns down, then you get $90,000. Now, you lost 10 still, right, because the house was worth 100 Your insurance contract paid out 90 less the premiums that you paid. But it's this idea of using a little bit of your capital right now, this $1,000 a year, to maybe protect, you know, a bigger downside, you know, risk in the market. Yeah. So it's that kind of that kind of thinking that is where an options contract comes into. And, and just to be totally honest, that example is an example of using a put option contract that you could do with stocks. So you could even buy downside protection for a stock. I, not to say that I would always do it, but I'm just using that concept as, you know, like what you how you can relate it to, uh, you know, to options trading. Look, that's a very, very good example. But let's uh, let's go back to the concept of how does someone even begin to understand how to trade options. And obviously that's where Option Alpha comes in and that's your core business of training people how to do it. But walk us through a a standard process of, do you believe that an options trader is an evolution or a improvement than a standard stock trader? Or do you believe that people should go to options and just skip over stock trading altogether? I think that most people, when they get started in options trading, they've come from a stock trading background. Sure. So I think that that, that becomes the natural transition and the, the path that they take is they get in, interested in investing, managing their own account, maybe trading some stocks, and then eventually they start to learn options. I fully believe, though, that you don't have to make that transition. In fact, I even acknowledge and tell people that if you are given the choice to begin with, please do not start with stock trading because the reality is is that every single stock that you try to invest in <laughs> yeah, yeah. legitimately has a 50% chance of going up yeah. or down. Oh, absolutely. And so, yeah. yes, you might, you, know, you might get you know, interested in doing it, but you're starting with really bad you know, chance of success, on odds of success. So the question was, you know, how do people get started? And I think the misconception, too, is that it's this overly sophisticated thing. I mean, like, look, driving a car when you don't know how to drive a car can seem sophisticated at first, Right. So not saying that options trading is not hard to understand and there's not lingo and innuendo that you have to, you know, master. Yes, there is. That's the a little bit of work that you have to put into it. But 
like everything else, there are major, major elements that you can understand. And once you master those major elements, it becomes a lot easier, you know, to kind of work through the basics, right? So like a car, you know, the steering wheel and the brake and the gas and the mirrors, like that's what you need to do with options trading. Figure out what those major kind of stones are, those major elements, really master those and then start to, you know, progress if you want to progress beyond that. So tell me how you feel about the employee who's investing in their company 401k plan, the company's matching it, and you know, their stance is, I don't want to take the time to learn how to trade on my own. I'm scared to death about options, so I'm just going to leave it in my company 401k plan, and I'm just going to let it roll like that. How do you have a conversation with that person about why maybe that isn't the best strategy? Look, I mean, I think that people know it's not the best strategy, right? They're just, they're afraid to take a step outside of their comfort zone and try something different, or even... Not even not that you have to invest your own money at first. You can paper trade and learn the mechanics of doing that. it without having your own money invested. So I, I don't ever try to necessarily sway people who are in that position. They know already that that may not be the best opportunity. And if they don't have enough, um, I, I guess, say emotional intelligence or that they don't feel like they can have control over their account, then you're, nev- you're never really going to you know, convince a person to do it. What I try to do at Option Alpha is just provide a lot of case studies, a lot of research. I public, publicly show all of my trades every single day. So people just know if, they, if this is something that they want to do. Not that they ever have to do it on my level, but I've been very successful doing this. I've, you know, we've done a lot of research at our company. That's a main thing that we do is a lot of research. And we know what works and what doesn't. I think showing that math and those numbers behind different strategies, I think, is what eventually helps people get, you know, get themselves over that hurdle. So it's got to be something that they do on their own, that they want to actively manage their own account. You bet. I don't think I'll ever necessarily convince them in a, you know, one-to-one conversation. Yeah, but listen, I mean, that's, that's that's really the crux of the matter here. The fact of the matter is most people aren't financially well off in whatever that definition is, not because of um, anything other than the fact that they literally don't have the courage to take a little bit of time to get educated on certain things. The education process leads to the decision, but if you choose to not do the education, you'll never have the courage to make the decision. I'm sure when you and your wife, just similar in my situation too, when you bought your first rental property, that was probably the hardest uh, decision of the 14 properties that you made. The first one, just getting the courage, the skill, the knowledge. And then after that, you began to, I'm assuming you began to say to yourself, geez, it wasn't that hard. Why the hell did I wait so long? Yeah. Well, you know, I, 100% now my wife kind of like manages all that now. And she, she comes from a family of teachers that never had any aspirations of owning rental property or managing, you know, never thought about any of that. You know, her whole entire family is teachers. So for her, it was a huge hurdle for her to get over mentally. Now now she publicly blogs about it and talks about all of our properties. Um, But look, I I think that people, you know, like when, if somebody's listening to this right now, like you know that you work way too hard for your money. Like this is how I think about it. Like I work really hard for the money that I make. And there is nobody who is going to then take the hard-earned money that I work every single week, every single month to make and manage it, invest it, allocate it better than possibly what I can do. And so, yeah, it might take a little bit of effort, but for God's sakes, like I'm working 40 hours a week just like everyone else is or more, and earning this money, it would be ignorant of me to think that I can just 
you know, give it to somebody, something, and assume that it's going to work out in the end. And again, that's where I get back to what I said in the beginning, that everyone has this cross your fingers behind your back type of investing mentality that if I just hold on long enough, if I just stay in here long enough, if I do quote unquote the right things that have worked for a long time, that it's going to work. But the reality is that the markets are changing much faster than they, you know, are, they're changing much faster today than they were even a month ago or six months ago. And so you've got to put the effort and the onus on yourself to learn how to do something that might be a little bit different. And it might be out of your comfort zone, but, you know, I say this a lot on, on uh, my podcast, too. It's like, I've got two little girls. It would be stupid of me to come for, for them to come home from school one day and say, you know what, Dad, and algebra is, like, really hard. You know, like, I, I get it. Like, I know I need to understand it, but, you know, it's just really hard for me to understand. Like, I would be a horrible parent if I said, yeah, you're right, honey. You know what? It's hard, so just don't worry about it. Somebody else eventually will take care of it for it. Like, no, we, we have to put – a little bit of effort in. <laughs> Look, it all comes down to effort in everything that we do. And yeah. so it, I, I hate to, I hate to think, you know, you could look up the word success on Amazon. There are 2000 books that will come up in the search under the terminology of success. There ain't 2000 strategies. There's maybe five or six strategies that hold true on. If you do those five or six things over a long period of time, you're going to be okay. So people just need to really understand that that eventually it's lifestyle by design. It's your life designed the way you want it, and you finish well or you finish poorly. And that's just the way it plays yeah. out because time marches on. Now, look, let's get into this because I've talked about this many times with my customers and even my employees and, and, and even high school students that I speak to. I speak to uh, about 100 high school seniors every week, and we talk about money constantly. You know, the, the math is pretty straightforward on a million dollars of accumulated net worth. If you take $2,000 a month and invest it at a 6% rate of return over a 20-year period of time, that, if you get the 6%, that turns into $1,047,000. The math just works. So the question would be, if, if the market or, or mutual funds have a reasonably good history of pulling a 6% rate of return and people want a million dollars, let's just say that's their goal, that's the formula. But I think what you said a minute ago is what is so intriguing to me. There are no guarantees anymore that history will repeat itself. That's how fast the market is changing. And so if you aren't moving with the, with the idea that our world is changing at a rate that makes historical data very hard to repeat or believe that it's going to happen over the next 20 years. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the biggest, you know, like sins that most investors make is that they, again, they invest in something, let's call it the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ for that case. And they say, look, you know, because they've been told you just have to buy and hold. And again, I'm not saying that buy and hold doesn't create a positive return because it does but you could do so much better if you didn't just close your eyes for 10 years and then open your eyes one year and say okay let let's see if that buy and hold strategy worked out because now you wasted 10 years of your life what if it didn't work out i mean think about all the people who bought the nasdaq or any of the technology you know stocks in the nasdaq literally back in 2000 they had to wait 16 years to get their money back, to, to really just break even yeah. over that time period. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, that's an enormous amount of lost time. So are the markets changing rapidly? Of course they're changing rapidly. Do some sound principles always work? Yeah, of course. You've got to understand the math and the expected returns and 
you know, the, the compound annual growth, like all of these things you have to understand. Uh, but you could blindly just invest it, and good luck. I wish you luck if you do. You know, close your eyes and say, you know what, I'll still take the chance. Great. But you're really not going to get where you want to go by doing that. And so, again, I think it comes back down to this idea of just taking a little bit of control from, of your finances in any capacity that you that you have. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, it does. you got to be in the game. you got to be in it to win it. Now, let me ask you this, because you must have seen this a lot in your experience, I'm sure with some of your clients or some of your members, in which they felt way behind in their savings curve or their retirement or their nest egg, and they turned to options uneducated, and they turned to options to say, options are going to help me make up the gap. I'm going to beat father time here through options trading. Tell me a couple stories. I mean, have you seen that example play out before with your clients? 100%. Okay, so look, this is the biggest pet peeve that I have by far when I uh, start coaching and training people, when I do, I do a, a free like onboarding webinar with everybody who signs up for our free membership every single week. So like rain, shine, storm, whatever, Wednesdays, I do them all the time. One of the first slides that I have is talking about that there are no hacks, tricks, gimmicks. There's none of that in this, in this space. It is not about getting results faster. It is about finding what works faster and then getting on that path and if you can find the path faster that means that you will eventually get your results a little bit quicker but it's still going to take a long time like you got to find the right road that'll get you there but you still have to go down the road it's not going to be any faster to get from new york to you know yeah. la you still got to find the right road it's still going to take a long time to drive there and so, so i totally agree with you i think that people have this mentality of looking for a hack or a trick or whatever and it's the wrong way to look at, you know, think about it. You've got to look for what is the right solution for me and where I want to be and then get on that path as fast as possible. And you still have to work down that path, right? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about that path as far as option alpha. I mean, walk me through what the primary takeaways are very quickly for someone if they were to sign up for option alpha, your company. So here's the deal. We are totally different in the sense that it is just me running this, right? Like we do not have this, you know, like, and I have an assistant and I've got a graphic designer and an audio guy, but as far as content and everything that's in there, it's all me. And the transition that I made in option alpha like eight years ago when we started this was different in this industry. And that is education first. Education is free. And it's a thousand times better than everybody else. <laughs> so unlike so many, it really is. Unlike so many other companies that are out there that charge you, I mean, I've seen you know five thousand dollars to go through a video course on how to trade on. Like it's ridiculous. And the reason that I have all of that for free is because I don't freaking need to make make money off of people that way. Like I, I don't make money off of people that way. I don't need to because I trade, I invest, I do my own stuff, right? So I don't need to sell my training and my programs and everything for a cost. It's all free. It's always been free, and it will always be free. And that's why people love it. Now, if you want one-on-one coaching with me, of course, that's not free. I can't coach 37,000 people. So that's you know where eventually some people decide to do coaching or consulting with me. That's where I eventually you know, got connections to eventually consult for hedge funds and billionaires, and, and I've done that. So for me, the whole thing with Option Alpha is I want it to be 100% open, honest. We have no broker affiliation, no arrangement with anybody. We don't sell ads on our website. We have no other alternative, no profit motive whatsoever other than to deliver you incredible value and to get you to believe that you can do it yourself. 
and it's all available for free. JP, it sounds a lot like Road Grid TV. Look, I'm a huge believer, Kirk, in, in that you literally must lead with the appropriate intention. If you lead with money first, you will lose the game over time. So I applaud you for that. But, but let's talk about the money game, though, because someone signs up for the webinar. They, they start to really educate themselves through your system and your process. But then where's the money grab? The money grab is I want to get really good at options trading, and so I hire Kirk to be my personal options coach. I mean, walk me through. Where does the money begin to exchange hands? Yeah, sure. So what we have done is we have started doing a lot of research. Um, and this has come through my own investment, but also, you know, I did a lot of coaching, which I don't do a lot of now um, just because of time and, you know, what I think that I'm worth as far as an hourly rate. Um, I don't do a lot of coaching now. And what I've started to do is we've started transition over into doing a lot of research. And so now we sell research and we also have started to develop software that helps people do what we've been training them to do faster. So I'll give you an example. About a year ago, a lot of our members were coming to us and they were saying, Kirk, you know, I I see how you're scanning for trades. I know how you look for them. Man, it'd be really good if I had something where I could go in and with a few clicks, figure out what to trade. And it would tell me exactly what strategy and, you know, what the expected range is of the stock. Great. So we invested a ton of money into building that software. Mm. And so now that software is an additional cost. And like in this example, the software is $39 for lifetime access. It's an incredible value, but it helps us, you know, deliver some of the, some of the things that people need to be able to do it. So the tools, the software, uh, one of the things that we're going to be rolling out here in the next month literally literally is a back testing software where people can go in and this is unheard of in this industry for people to go in and say okay what if i traded this strategy this exact way with you know any different parameters you want what would the results have been for the last five years 10 years 20 years you know in the options market and so we're now going to have that capability for someone to go in and back test their own strategy and then play it out you know then they can take it and run with it right um, so that's where we, we start to make that transition. So all the training, education, everything is for free. If you ever want tools or additional software, then, of course, it comes at a nominal cost as far as how much value you get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kirk, look, I, I, I love it. Here's the final question I've got for you, though. I run a good-sized company. I work for a company. Um, I'm a high-pressure uh, you know, high stress manager. I don't have time to trade options myself. Now, what do I do? I like the concept of options, but I don't have the ability and the time to do it myself. What is your response when you hear that? And I'm sure you hear it all the time. Perfect. Yeah. And I love, I love this question. And the reason I did is because I recorded a podcast, which is now my go-to staple to say, everyone listen to this show because I record a podcast with a real estate investor who's in Florida who is the head of his company. He's a home builder. They build 100 homes across the country every single month. So I can pretty much assume that nobody, and not nobody, but a lot of people probably don't have the type of responsibility that he has building 100 homes with thousands and thousands of employees across all 50 states. Yet, he goes in every single day, and he makes one single trade, and he does 22% annually for the last eight years. Mm. And so what I, what I say to you and what I say to everyone is that, yes, we're all busy. We've got kids and obligations and family and church and all of these things, but we have enough time. We can shift some of our time from maybe in the evening watching Game of Thrones and Grey's Anatomy and you know po- politics and news 
and shift 30 minutes of that to being able to do this. And, and it takes one 30-minute session maybe a day or every other day or, God forbid, just once a week checking on your investments. And so I think everyone has the possibility to do it as long as you know how to shift and allocate your time. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, great answer. Where is that podcast available? Is that on YouTube that could be listened to, or where do we get the where do we get our hands on that? Yep, YouTube or on our show. It is show number sixty one, and it's with a guy by the name of Cameron Skinner. Okay, great. I love the sound of that. So, look, I'd like to recap, and I'm going to put a few words in your mouth. So, tell me if you disagree Perfect. with it. But I'm going to recap the takeaways for today. The first thing that I took from our conversation is the the impact of personal responsibility. I mean, you literally have to take control over your financial situation. You cannot put your head in the sand. You can't, you know, cross your fingers, put them behind your back, and then hope that 30 years later it just worked out. You've got to have personal responsibility. The second, you've got to educate yourself. You've got to see the scenario and the data and the research for yourself versus just hearing about it from someone else, especially for our audience if you're in your 20s or 30s and you're listening to someone who who invested in Coca-Cola in 1960, that was their only holding, and 40 years later right. they did just fine. Those days are over for you all, folks. The second, yeah. the third piece that I have is courage, literally the ability to take the first step and take the leap. At some point, I believe it doesn't take money to make money. It takes courage to make money. So you got to have the guts to do it. I love this concept of beta testing and paper trading that you talked about. Because you, your first trade doesn't have to be with real money. Your first trade should be done on paper. And then beta test it. How did we do? What if we had gone in with more? What if we had gone in with less? Multiple trades in different industries so you begin to get a better understanding. And then I love your concept of no shortcuts, which I believe is a huge problem in our, in our society today in which everybody thinks they could be Mark Zuckerberg. Everybody thinks that just because they go into business for themselves, they're going to be Zucks. It just doesn't play out like that for most people. Most people need time on their side, they need patience, and they need to understand that that high flyer is just, is just such a .00001% of the people who are actually out there in the game. How do you feel about those takeaways? I think you're right. Yep, spot on. Good work. Give me one more, though. What one did I miss so our, our listener can understand the one thing that you'd like to get across to them that maybe I missed on our takeaways? You know, I, I think it all comes back down in any investment to the math and expected outcomes. And that's a, that's a hard concept for most people to understand because they don't, they don't think about the math behind it. But you really have to look at the numbers, the risk versus reward, and the expected win rates of these you know, strategies that you're implementing. And so when you really start to dig in here, and again, not, not saying that it's not hard work and it might take a little bit of time, but when you really start to dig in, I think what you'll find is that there's a direct correlation between investors who are wildly successful in any sphere, not option stocks, but real estate, business, whatever, a direct correlation between the ones who really know the math and the ones who don't. Yeah, that's a that's a great finish, Kirk. Because people really need to understand the difference between a six percent rate of return and a nine percent rate of return, or fourteen percent rate of return, or twenty two percent rate of return, is so enormous. It's unbelievable. Right. Potentially the same amount of work, the same amount of money invested with the change of pure compound interest is just staggering. So you're right. Understand the math. Yep. 
So, Kirk, listen, we're coming to the end of the show, the I Need More Money radio show. I want to thank you very much. Give me the best way for listeners to, to follow Option Alpha and you. Yeah, you can just head on over to our website, www.optionalpha.com, or follow us anywhere online. Um, everything is at Option Alpha, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. I mean, you name it. We're try to put everything everywhere so people can you know, learn and educate themselves. Sounds great. Kirk, I want to thank you for your time on the I Need More Money radio show. I'm your host, everyone, Matt Monero. Follow me on Twitter, on any social media platform as Matt Monero. And until the next time we talk, thanks.